The button has been pushed. Commencing podcast now. Where's my food? Chomp, chomp, chompity chomp. Welcome to Pop Tech Jam, the independent audio magazine about consumer technology, pop culture, and anything else we feel like talking about this week. I'm J.D. Beersdorfer. And I'm Pedro Rafael Rosado. And there are many things to talk about this week. Obviously, there in the text sphere, there was Twitter's, I don't know what we call it, evil twin or, or competitor or whatnot, which, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Come on, and, let's uh, be you, honest. Both Twitter and Threads have the Van Dyke. They have the beard, okay? And if you get that reference, you're true OGs, okay? Yes. So we've got that to talk about. You have some fun audio stuff, as you always do. But first off, because this happened fairly recently, the actors are joining the writers on strike in Hollywood. A lot of movies just instantly have shut down already, including, I believe, the, the Deadpool 3, which everyone had gotten really excited about that promo photo with Hugh Jackman back in the suit as Wolverine, but actually wearing the yellow suit from the historically accurate comics period. So I think for a lot of nerds that probably hit home, it's like, oh, well, well the, all of the comic book movies and the things coming out are all this production is going to stop. And it was so sudden. Apparently people were at a press opening for the Oppenheimer movie over in Europe and all of the stars who were there for the red carpet turnout all of a sudden had to leave because part of the deal is if you're on strike, you're not promoting your latest project. And so that was Matt Damon and Killian Murphy and a, and a bunch of folks there. The writers have been out for two months and I don't know, people's writers, whatever, we don't need them. But once the actors joined them, then it really became a thing. And Yeah, because the money people start paying attention. The Once the money people pay attention, they start taking seriously. You know what? That's what infuriated me about the writer's strike. Okay, these are the folks that have legitimate gripes. Now, the reason we're talking about it is not because it's a popular culture thing, but it's also there's a tech angle here. The reason... There are strikes happening right now is because of the streaming universe. A lot of these writers and actors aren't getting paid residuals. Yeah, they like you stream one and done. For a lot of these folks, that's that was their bread and butter. They did a TV show, they could pay the rent for decades. Yeah, every time it repeated or went into syndication. Yeah, and with the streaming model breaking that, and then, so that was a huge part of it. Also, there is the big fear of artificial intelligence not only being used to create scripts, but to create entire actors. Like, all of your extras in the background could be CGI'd AI figures. And I think that everyone uh, on the creative side of that is very concerned. They're, uh, of course, they're pointing out that the um, the studio heads are, are are making millions and maybe billions of dollars, and none of this is trickling down. So it, it's it's a similar uh, argument you've heard to a number of labor fights that have happened in the past few years. Just so that management and the corporation is doing good, sitting pretty, got big chunks of money not sharing it with the people who helped them get there. This got real all of a sudden. And I'm mad that people didn't take the writers as seriously. I know they went out in 2008 or whatever. And you remember there were six months the year after where there wasn't a lot of new shows because nobody was around to write them the year before. This could have been prevented. There's so much money being generated. So much Money And if they tell you no, that's that Hollywood magic accounting going on. But there is cash money being generated 
Heck, if you just want to talk about Star Wars and uh, keeping it in the family here, Star Wars and Marvel and all that stuff, they're cranking that stuff out directly onto streaming. And you know what? I'm not worried about the big names. The people who are being affected are the behind-the-scenes folks like the writers and the actors who are not top names. These are Yeah, and people doing small projects. Your working Joe actors. Come on, folks. This is a, a business like any other. It's granted they're not making cars in Detroit, but they're making movies in Hollywood. It's an industry town. You got to take the union seriously. Yeah, and all of those secondary businesses like catering and and Correct. parties and things and, and everything that that comes around the production of the show is going to shut down too or have significantly less uh, business. It's going to trickle down and and, uh, hopefully this will not last too long. I suspect in the end, as things all do, they will come to some agreement and then in six months, all of our fees for streaming channels will go up by a buck or two to pay for it. It's definitely going to happen. But keeping it in the streaming world, have you ever watched the show Barry? Bill Hader's Barry? I, I believe I have not seen a Barry Okay, the whole shtick, and I'm not giving away any spoilers. There's going to be this is going to be a spoiler-free segment. I just want to rant a little bit about Barry. Barry, if you're not familiar with it, was a show created by ex-SNL star Bill Hader. It's about a hitman who tries to become an actor. He wants to get out of the hitman life and become an actor. Sounds totally ridiculous, but. It was legitimately one of the best television shows I'd seen in a very long time. It was funny. It was dramatic. It it had action. It was a little over-the-top violent. It was a show that you didn't know what was going to happen next for the first two seasons. Okay, but... Exactly. The third season kind of took a turn. I'm like, I don't like where this is going. It's pushing the comedy aspects, the quirkiness into the background and ratcheting up the drama, okay? The action and drama part of it. Why do you think they felt the need to do that? Well, I guess they wanted to be taken seriously because it was like one of these things where, oh, we got to wrap this show up because it was only going to be four seasons anyway. Mm -hmm. We got to wrap this show up. This guy, legitimately, the main character, is a bad dude. He's an evil dude. As much as you like him in the Tony Soprano way, you are constantly reminded that this guy's just a maniac. He is insane. A murderous sociopath. An anti-hero, one might say, without getting the Taylor Swift song stuck in your brain. (laughs) Exactly. So my guess is they wanted to pull back and make it a swerve. Well, that was totally the case in the final season four it became a lame breaking bad you know imitation a very pale imitation of breaking bad the characters that you really liked like henry winkler played a major the fonz played a major character right they had another guy anthony corrigan or gorgon i can't remember how to what his name is but he played a chechen gangster very striking look. He was bald, no eyebrows, the whole nine yards. Great character. They completely destroyed it. I mean, it, they just went over the top with the ridiculousness. But if you're going to watch the thing, 
stream the first two seasons. The first two. And forget about the third and the fourth. You trust me on this. Trust me. Unless you're a completist, just trust me on this. Well, there's something about getting past the second. We've talked about this before. The second season, and then they either haven't thought out the rest of whatever the show's arc is going to be, or they've run out of ideas, or, oh, we got to do something different because we've done two seasons. But Buffy was the same way. I thought it had this weird wiggle after the first two seasons. They had some casting changes, too, which probably made them have to to write differently. Battlestar Galactica, the reboot, I thought. Absolutely. Got weaker after the first two seasons. But yeah, it seems like they, they find the vibe, the chemistry, the secret sauce. They've clearly written the first year ahead of time because you have to sell the show. They've probably got enough overflows ideas for the second series of it. But then once you get past that, oh, we need to do something and we can't repeat what we did. And sometimes the creative lunge is farther than it needs to be. And it just takes you out of the show. This has been my experience. We'll see. Only Merge in the Building Season 3 is coming up, so I'm going to test my theory next right. month. Right. Well, I'm glad you you had a good show for two years. Uh, two years, sorry about two the drop-off. seasons. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it's noticeable. It's one of these things where it's like, what am I watching? This is not even the same show. But I have to say, the acting is still spectacularly good. I mean, the, the acting is still really good. They're working with a lot of crazy stuff that they didn't have to in the first two seasons, but they're still doing their jobs. Anyway. Yeah, that's good. Well, and well, but now that we're in a, a writer's and a performer's strike, do you have some shows that you've got, like in, in case of strike break glass, that you're going to keep on the side since we'll probably run out of stuff at some point uh, with no new material being created? Or are you going to go back to, to revisit old favorites while you wait for the strike to end? Well, I'm going to catch up on stuff that I haven't watched, first off, and movies that I haven't watched. Andor. I still haven't watched Andor. I got an Emmy and nomination. Obi-Wan. So did Obi-Wan, which mm-hmm. I was surprised about. And The Last of Us, based on a video game, again, it got tons of nominations, too, which surprised me. Acting nominations, Pedro Pascal. Okay, so, so you're going to get caught up on your Andor, which is yeah. a very, that was one of my, it's a, it's a dark show because it runs in the vein of Rogue One, but it Correct. is so well done and it puts the war in Star Wars. It does indeed. And yeah, and I'm also going to, I don't really want to do it, but I'm going to watch House of Dragons and yeah, I'm going to catch up on seasons of shows that I haven't been able to watch. And then... If it drags out for a long time, all the stuff that's been in the pipeline is going to come out, then there's going to be the yeah. drop-off. We're going to have months of bare cupboards, basically. Yeah. I'm going to do some anime. I've been binging on, like, My Hero Academia. I've got Berserk and a bunch of other shows lined up on Funimation. Yeah, no, it's, it's the perfect time to catch up on all of your international streaming shows from places producing stuff not outside of Hollywood. And just watch as much as you can before they raise the prices. Yeah, I'm hoping Brassic out of uh, England. I hope that comes back soon because I miss that show. That's one of my favorite international shows currently. I'm not even going to talk about Doctor Who because I don't know when that's coming back. Yeah, they seem to be in a bit of a, a flux the state over there. But all right, here's hoping the performers and the writers can get a deal that is acceptable to them soon. In the meantime, we will catch up on our backlogs and our international film and hope for the best. But but moving on. Yeah, moving on. Much like Hollywood and the unions, you've got some competing social media platforms now. Buttonheads. Well, we've been following the 
Twitter drama for a while, even though yes. we were largely not on for several months. Wasn't it last spring Elon Musk first announced that he wanted to buy Twitter? Like it was in April of 2022 or whatever. And then there was the whole thing with the price and was he going to buy it? And then he tried to back out and they said, no, you have to buy it. And then he bought yeah, it and the deal. F- yeah. And they threatened so all of this. Him. Yeah. And so all of this drama began in the spring, lulled a little bit in the summer as things do. But then by the end of October, he finally completes the purchase. And I know a lot of people who wanted nothing to do with him for whatever reason, uh, didn't like the guy, quit Twitter when it was just a rumor that he was going to buy it. So they were out early, but a lot of people said, well, let's just see what happens. So he he takes the keys to the car at the end of October. I think that was when he walked in with the detached kitchen sink and had yeah. some kind of joke about the bringing the sink. But then... So that was like roughly around the time of Halloween. And then over the next few weeks, just started whacking people. I think he laid off some executives uh, the first day or two. But 3,700 layoffs, I think, within that first month of people and people that they needed, like their trust and safety team, I think, was gone pretty early. A bunch of engineers left. Um, executives uh, de- departed. And you started to see, even in November that the struts were starting to pop a little bit on this. And then there was the back and forth. Remember the, the whole verification badge thing where he oh, his, his grand plan to make money was to charge people for the blue verification check mark saying I'm a legitimate celebrity or journalist or whatever. So he's going to take that away. It's going to be $8 a month. But then because I think they had lost so many engineers, they couldn't figure out how to actually do it. And then they kept going back and forth. And the prize was going to be 5 bucks. It was going to be 12 bucks, And it was going to be 8 bucks. It took them forever to do that. Stephen King actually got involved. Yeah, because King's point was like, you should be paying me to to tweet here. Um, You should be paying me. And that's why it actually costs eight bucks. Musk went on there and replied, well, would you pay for it if it was eight dollars? Oh, my God. He's out of control. After after they stripped them off, and they had booted some journalists off the platform, too, because Musk didn't oh, like yeah. what they were saying. But the uh, some some celebrities and writers, I believe, including Stephen King, who didn't sign up for the eight bucks, got the blue check mark anyway, just because they were trying to, to verify, yes, these are, are legit people who are still using our platform. And then they had the gold check marks for... Corporate organizations corporate and stuff. Right. Yeah, and all of this is just falling apart, and then they change the community standards, and so all of a sudden you've got a lot more, for lack of a bad word, hate speech coming on. He allowed some people who had been kicked off the platform to resume their accounts should they want to. The Trust and Safety Council was, like, blown out of the water. They were gone and shut down his pl- newsletter platform. It was just very tumultuous, and then Twitter also started to have a bunch of outages, too, because they didn't have the technical people they to— didn't have the infrastructure. Yeah, to prop it up. And then there were more layoffs. I think by the end of the year, he had whacked another chunk of users and staff there too. But none of this is making the advertisers happy, clearly. Advertisers do not like chaos and tumultuous things happening. They want you to be very soothed and calm when you look at the ad for their brand. All of this is just thrashing and thrashing and thrashing. And then even this year, I think the they looked at the ad sales from like April to June and it was down 59% because the advertisers wow. were not having it. So all of this is going on and he's making grand pronouncements. And he, he, he since he fired all of Twitter's a comms team, anytime a journalist would email him to ask a question or a comment, 
he had an auto reply that just sent back a poop emoji to anyone who was writing the, the Twitter press office. And this was his way of dealing uh, with the media. But a lot of journalists, because it is a broadcast platform to get your words or your link or your story at, a lot of journalists could not quit it. People were still trying to have the same kind of dialogues that they used to have, even though, you know, sometimes the re- reporting for for uh, community user complaints had changed and people would just get banned arbitrarily. It, it was uh, an attempt to keep it the way it was. And so everyone's like, huh. And so then you see people going to Mastodon or people going to Discord and starting to leave the platform in little bits. And then, lo and behold, just a few weeks ago, Mr. Zuckerberg over there at the Metabook face announces that they've got a new, I guess you would call it a micro-blogging platform called Threads. And so they don't, rolled don't, don't, Yes, don't. and I don't know if this is the announcement that caused the, when Musk and Zuckerberg were going to have their cage match and there was a bunch of antler whacking going on the social media. So I don't know if Elon got word that this was coming or he was just, they were just picking fights anyway. Meta announces this thing called Threads, and it looks basically like a Twitter clone. It, it's organized a little bit differently, where it, because it's spun off of Instagram, basically, and you have to have an Instagram account to use Threads. And the thing that I think are making a lot of people a little nervous is if you decide to leave Threads, you have to kill the Instagram account. So if you had the Instagram account first with a ton of pictures, you're stuck in a bind. They claim to be working on these sorts of things, but... The pent-up desire just to have some kind of a stable microblogging platform where maybe things are a little more pleasant was so big that they got 100 million users in record time with people running over, signing up for this, trying out. Obviously, not everyone thought it was a great thing, but people were like, well, you know, it's kind of like Twitter in easy mode, and you can't do some of the things that you could do on Twitter, but for now, it's okay, and... The meta engineers have said that they're going to be adding more features. So this was just basically the first version of the product that I think they were trying to get out to people to say, hey, look, you got an option here. You you don't have to sit and and be annoyed by this blue bird anymore. Two guys at the New York Times sat and looked at it. They specifically were comparing threads to Twitter. And and it's a pretty good side-by-side. They do it in dialogue form. It's Mike Isaac and Brian Chen. And Mike Isaac is a hardcore Twitter user. And so he had a lot of insight into just how different the the two were because he's on Twitter all the time and Brian was more of a casual user and so he was looking at it more from the casual user standpoint and both of them noticed that even though it often didn't come on by default, Twitter had this thing where you could see stuff chronologically, reverse chronologically as it happened. The Threads product, much like Instagram, is very algorithmically driven. So it could be something that was posted 10 hours ago, and it could have been 10 seconds ago. Whatever the algorithm thinks uh, you need to see it, it's going to show it to you then. You don't automatically get this timeline that you could uh, ostensibly create with Twitter. And then it also throws in a lot of influencer accounts and people you don't know into your feed. So if you Enjoy meeting new people. Maybe this is the thing for you. If you just want to see what your friends are talking about, that's probably less appealing. But I looked, well, I think you even posted the the data requirements and the privacy stuff. stuff. Yeah. And Instagram slurps all this stuff too. But just seeing it on a page and like, oh man, they're basically taking everything. It's not my birth certificate here. Everything. Why would they need your health information? It boggles my mind. Again, I repeat, the European Union don't want anything to do with threads. It's banned. It just mm-hmm. it ain't happening over there yet. That's all I need to know. Yeah, and I have not signed up either. You know, I'm just hanging back to see how it's going to unfold. And I think a lot of people went on and said, oh, you know, blah, 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 and then got bored and left. A lot of people 
began to find community, or if they were already Instagram users, this was a good thing because it was also was a an environment that they kind of already understood. Okay, this is mainly just text. You can do pictures, but you can have little short conversations. I think the character limit is different. I think you can go up to 500 instead of 280 like Twitter, but I don't know why you'd want to do a 500 word no idea. post because the, the, the thing about Twitter was short, sharp shocks. You don't, I don't want to read a novel on there. I want to hear somebody have a witty, pithy comment and then move on to the next one. But some people are, are a little more windbaggy. Uh, so it, it does have uh, a few different things, but it was close enough, uh, even in just the visual design, that Mr. Musk found it to be problematic and accused them of making a clone, a copyright. And I think there are some legal things that might He's be happening. freaked out. Clearly, he hasn't seen Mastodon or any of the other so-called Twitter killers. Come yeah, on. Or if he's seen them, they have not taken enough of his toys that he is feeling threatened. Okay? He freaked much, out. He completely Yeah, to your out. point, all of these things basically look the same. They're little preview lines of blog posts and you can favorite things and repost, retweet, retweet, whatever you want to do to share them. So right. it's become basically the paradigm for this kind of social media platform. Because the they took 100 million uh, signups in a very short amount of time. I believe that was probably what got his attention more than the fact that they were using some of the same icons for how you interacted with the post. But uh, it, so we'll see where this goes. And I, yeah, but you know who's not sleeping well over these last couple of days? It's Jack Dorsey. <laughs> Mr. Blue Sky? Mr. Blue Sky. I'm still waiting for a Blue Sky invitation. He has not given you one personally? No Blue Sky. But listen... When you get 100 million users and there's already alternatives like Mastodon and a whole bunch of other ones out there, you know what? If you're on the threads train already, what are the chances you're going to jump off and go to Blue Sky now? It's not going to happen. Yeah, especially if you're an Instagram user and you're tied in already. It's going to be almost impossible to generate any anywhere near the kind of buzz that Threads has gotten because of Elon Musk's reaction. And he wasn't reacting to Blue Sky at all, as it was. Jack Dorsey and the folks who were running that, I think they may have miscalculated trying to go old school with the invitation-only type oh, yeah. and trying to create that kind of like exclusivity buzz. I remember I mean, never wanted a Google Plus invitation or Google right, Buzz exactly. or whatever it was. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah. <laughs> The skies aren't that blue right now over there in Jack Dorsey land. They might be a little cloudy. Maybe he's oh, I'll play the long game and people get sick of Zuckerberg or he'll get busted for Monopoly if if Meta goes back to having all of the things on and nobody can really compete with it. Who knows if that will happen uh, with everything else uh, going on in the world. Oh, or Elon's going to throw down a lawsuit. And it, it, even if he does, I don't think they can stop it unless there's a court order. Uh, to cease and desist. So many lawsuits over there in Twitter land. Musk is already getting sued by his former employees. You mentioned the severance and the layoffs and all that. The, the lack of severance and uh, lack of warning for layoffs. Yes, yeah, exactly. And that's like a $500 million lawsuit already. They've closed a bunch of offices because they either don't want to or can't afford to pay for the real estate to, to rent an office. No matter how you slice it, it's not good in Twitter. Land. I canceled, I legitimately canceled my account. Like before I wasn't using it, but I, I just, I axed it. It's gone. It's done. All right. So it has been cut free. Yeah. I'm, it's just, I can't deal with it. Listen, when he announced, like you did that TikTok timeline mm-hmm. and around that October period when it became official that he was going to actually 
buy or take over the company and pay what he was supposed to pay. Mm -hmm. The flood of hate that I got on Twitter, they dug up an old post that I said that, you know, if he bought it, I would leave. And it was this nonstop flood. And I would actually respond to these messages because it wasn't only like in feed, it was in the messages and stuff. And I actually got one from a guy who claimed to be a man of the cloth, shall we say. In his bio, it's like Reverend so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. So I responded to him directly, and I was like, listen, I just really got to ask, why, what would drive you, a man of the cloth, to post this kind of hate directly to me with your name? His response was, well, because other people were doing it. Really? In, apparently in his circle. What are you, 10? <laughs> you have to do what your friends are doing? What is this peer pressure you've got? You're a man, a middle-aged man, supposedly a man of the cloth, and because a whole bunch of other people on some website that you listen or read, yeah. some blog you read, tells you to attack me, you do it? Well, is he the pastor of the Church of the Moronic Lemming? I mean, apparently, what's his... Uh... Apparently, that's it, you know. Man. That's exactly it. That was the tipping point for me. I was like, you know what? Who needs this? And these are the folks buying... Again, the irony of these Musk fans and and folks that were fighting the fight for Elon railing against those awful or us awful folks with our blue checks lording it over us. I never wanted the check. I never asked for the check. It's because the business I was in. So now you are paying for the privilege of being the quote unquote authority figure or special mm -hmm. person even if you have no this. idea what you're doing. Even if you have no idea what you're doing, but you're paying for it. You get no other advantages. There's nothing except the little blue check and maybe access to more, seeing more of your tweets. Oh, yeah, because they're limiting tweets now, too. Exactly. Of network uh, it's or whatever. It's just the mind-blowing stupidity of the whole thing. I was like, I'm done. I'm out. I'm done. I actually mentioned this to you a couple of days ago. What I want to do is try to get a roundtable discussion going of folks who love their Twitter replacement, like the Mastodon folks, the Threads folks. I want Discord. Granted, mm -hmm. it's not really a microblogging site, but there's a lot of people who went over to Discord and all that stuff. I really want to get a sense of why folks are sticking with yeah, Blue what Sky. If they found if there's actually people who are Blue Sky folks actually using it. I'm, I'm fascinated, absolutely fascinated by it. And well, maybe if it's a smaller decentralized thing, there's less of the angry masses with the pitchforks and all that. Because that was the thing Mike Isaac had noted in the Times article is like, yeah, I went on my feed, there's a lot more, you know, I agree with a blast of like racism and vitriol and... and absolutely. That That's just what it is now. So maybe on the smaller platforms or where they are more isolated to certain servers, it's a little bit more of a quieter community. Yeah, but then again, then it becomes a vacuum. You're just talking to like-minded people. You're not getting... 
that was the nice thing about Twitter before it really went to hell. Yeah, you had to deal with a-holes and you had to deal with trolls and all that stuff. But on rare occasions, you can actually interact with someone who didn't necessarily share your views, but you could have a reasonable discussion. I'm granted, a hundred and what is it? We used to be 180 characters or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah I think it's 280 now. It was 140 and then went up to 280. It was 140, yeah. You can have a back and forth, not necessarily just yelling hate at someone, but you know, that, An exchange those days of views, are over. Yeah. yeah, those days are over. That's it's, It just does not happen on Twitter. It does not happen on Twitter. Yeah, he's freaking out about threads, and he should. Elon mm-hmm. should absolutely freak out. It was a brilliant move on Zuckerberg's part. Just say, hey, we're doing it. We're going to hoover up even more of your information, including your health statuses. It's just, it, it, there's no reason to be on these platforms for me. Personally, I don't have any interest in them. Yeah, I'm on Instagram. I enjoy it. I like seeing people's posts. I like the memes. I like the stuff that people rip off of TikTok and put on Instagram. Yeah. But yeah, I have no, I have no interest now on the microblogging stuff. Maybe it'll come back. Maybe if there's a platform, maybe Blue Sky does actually come back and do something. But Anyway, I'm going to see if I can get this roundtable thing going because I'm fascinated yeah, no, I, by I'm it. curious too because there, there were all the alternatives and everyone, as soon as Twitter began to implode a little bit, every news media thing, what else can you do besides Twitter? And did the sort of list of things that were out there, but I never mm-hmm. really saw the side-by-side comparison. Maybe I didn't look hard enough because I didn't care, but it, yeah, it's a Ron Swanson excuse. But, the, but still, it would be nice now that we've had a little time since the October Revolution, if you were, <laughs> and going into almost August, now he's had it less than a year, the service has changed considerably. If, if it does look like we're going to be doing a, a straight 90 degree into the Earth's surface, where might you jump out? I would love to hear that roundtable. We're going to totally switch gears here. This is like a total like 180. But we're going to talk... Music. Music. And I'm talking physical media. Music on physical media. Vinyl? No. It has some shellacs? No no shellacs. No vinyl. No 180 gram vinyl. I have... Shiny discs? Shiny discs, but they're not CDs. First and foremost... Are they laser discs? No, they're not. Oh, remember laser discs? They were pretty wild. I had to flip the movie in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. No, these are not Laserdiscs. People really don't know this, J.D., but do you remember when actual surround sound was created? How old do you think surround sound really is? I'm thinking back. I don't think I remember it as a a home phonograph type of thing, home stereo. I just remember hearing surround sound or being aware of it in the movies where they're dealing with movie soundtracks. And I don't think it was until Star Wars until the late 70s when one became aware that, oh, there's something happening in the speaker behind me in the Mm -hmm. theater. I grew up in a house where my parents had a reel-to-reel tape recorder well into the 80s. And so they were a little bit behind the technological curve. And then we went straight into cassettes and and Walkmans uh, and and what have you. I would be a a bit perplexed. And and this is, it's not a track, right? Like, so this is a speaker-based sound distribution system. Do you remember the term quadraphonic audio? Quadraphonic sound? Ooh. 
I think I remember, I for some reason I remember a logo, but I don't yes. remember what it specifically stood for. Quadraphonic sound, I'm guessing quad four Earth or something. speakers, right? Now, this was in the early 1970s, 1972 specifically. Okay, 72. When it really, when, it, when quadraphonic sound became something that was marketed to the masses. And essentially it was on eight tracks okay. and I think some special vinyl done in quadraphonic sound. And there may have been cassettes that were actually okay. quadraphonic sound. The idea here is that it was a surround sound system okay. for music. Because there wasn't any home video at the time. Yeah, so you would just have to have a really good speaker. So And so Correct. if you, you needed to, to tune out Richard Nixon for the day, <laughs> right. you would... You would get your hi-fi. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't put on your headphones. You would sit directly in the middle and space your speakers, four speakers, left, right on the front and left, right in the back. Sound mm -hmm. familiar? For all you Dolby 5.1 surround sound enthusiasts, basically it was a four-channel surround sound. You had front, left, front, back, and you sat directly in the middle. And the idea was that it was supposed to give you the experience of being surrounded by the musicians, which is kind of weird, to be honest with you, because when you watch a band, even live, they're in front of you, so you're getting more of a stereo image. There's a drummer behind me. Oh, no. Yeah. Right, right exactly. Why is the hi-hat behind me? I don't understand. It was gimmicky. Mm -hmm. You got to admit, it, it didn't sweep the world. Yeah, I don't remember it being quite the revolution of no, the CD era, perhaps. No, it was not. But you know what? It was pretty cool. I remember actually listening to quadraphonic stuff way back when in my uncle's house who used to tr have the whole thing tricked out with all the stereo gadgets and all that stuff. And it was cool. The idea that you can hear the guitar on the left and the back and you could hear different things in front of you and on left and right. You're surrounded by sound. So now, flash forward 50 years later. Yes. We're past the whole surround sound video explosion. The Dolby 5.1s, the Dolby 7.1, the soundbars, right, exactly. all of that stuff for home, home audiences. So if you're in that ecosystem, you've already got at least four speakers there. Rhino Records which specializes in re-releasing classic albums in every genre, they have recently adopted what they call Quadio. Quadio? Quadio. Yeah, it's cute. Yeah, no, it sounds yeah. like a Shakespeare character. Yeah. Come forth, Quadio. Quadio, come forth, hither. And now, it's essentially quadraphonic sound for the 21st century. Okay. Right? You've got the master tapes that were originally done in four channels. You did your studio magic mm -hmm. and you upgraded them, you remastered them, you made them sound good, you made sure that all the audio was coming from four channels, and then you put it on a Blu-ray disc. Blu-ray, okay. And pump up the frequency, make it really high resolution. Mm -hmm. So when you put it in your DVD player, uh-uh-uh, no, in your Blu-ray player, not just any Blu-ray player, but a Blu-ray player that can handle DTS master 
audio. It has to decode DTS-MA or DTS Master. If you're familiar with this term from having a Blu-ray disc, you know. You know, if you know, you know. But you have to have this particular codec on the device that you're going to play the Blu-ray disc in. There's no CD. If you're one of those folks that still have your old audio CD clamshell thing. Yeah, you're just, man, not going to cut it Yeah, exactly. So I bust open the discs. They sent me, Rhino very graciously sent me four things to test. It was Paranoid by Black Sabbath, Billion Dollar Babies by Alice Cooper, Red Octopus by Jefferson Starship, All right. Jefferson Airplane, Nightmares and Other Tales from the Vinyl Jungle by the Jay Giles Band. Now, Did these they send were, you some bell-bottoms to wear while you were listening? <laughs> I really was like, whoa, dude, how old do you think I am, man? Yeah. I realized that they're start, it started back in the day. Yeah, so the, these know. were the bands that would have had the quad tapes to begin with. Correct, right. exactly yeah. right. And the fascinating part for me is that I wasn't really expecting much in terms of sound quality when I popped it into my... I put it on a Sony 4K player. So it could handle Blu-ray, it could handle up to 4K, all the specs for like high-res audio and all that stuff. So I knew it was going to play. But I first tried it on an older Oppo Blu-ray player that I had, and it just spit the bit. It was like, nope, not going to happen. Wouldn't even spin up the disc? uh... Wouldn't even spin up the disc. And I know it handled DTS. It decoded DTS uh, streams, but it did not handle the DTS master stream. Make sure that if you invest in these Quadio albums that your system can actually handle the playback. But anyway, it's essentially watching a video. You're watching, there's a static image when you pop it in. I was listening to Black Sabbath first and it's a static image of the album art and all that stuff. It's like when you're watching a DVD or a Blu-ray and it's that landing page, your selection page, it's basically the same thing. They've got the track listing, you select the song you want. So I played a classic Iron Man by Black Sabbath. Now, you know, if you watch the Marvel movie, you know, you know, okay? It was really an immersive experience. I never heard the original Quadraphonic album, so I can't compare it to that experience. But I sat in the middle of my living room. I had my speakers all around me. I was sitting there, and it was cool. I felt don't immersed. See, yes, I felt immersed. It was cool. It was like you're listening to the album in a completely different way. Now, this is a song that most of us have probably heard a million times before. If Hollywood's got it, we've heard it, yeah. Correct. And I enjoyed the experience. There's a couple other hits on there, too, like Paranoid, the, mm-hmm. the actual song Paranoid, and War Pigs. These are all heavy metal classics. And I was listening to the Jay Giles band, which was more of a rock R&B type vibe. Yeah. Were they the Girlfriends of Centerfold song? Was yeah, that exactly. Okay, but this okay, was yeah. years before. This is, I was in the 80s. This was in the 70s. And they were just doing bar band type sound. But anyway, the sound quality was really great in terms of the remastering job and actually the fidelity and the work they did to make sure that this was the original the, the best presentation of the quadraphonic sound out there was great. I mean, I really appreciated it. If you're into the artist, if you have the video setup, 
to play the audio and it's not DVD audio. That's a completely different thing. And it's not SACD or super audio CD. It's a, this is a completely different thing. So again, if you want to invest in this, I enjoyed it. I thought it sounded great. The four albums, if you get it in the bundle, it's $79 and 98 cents. They're about 25 bucks an album, quote unquote, mm -hmm. or video, whatever you want to call it. I would listen to more of these, to be perfectly honest, because when I listened to the stereo version, which is also a DTS high-res file, it was lacking. You were missing those two channels. Correct. And I, I, I wanted, wait a minute, the guitar's not coming out of the back. It's just in the front. You lose that immersive vibe, which really made a difference. Yeah, yeah stereo's great, but... If you have the speakers, man, you want to use all your speakers. Yeah. And this gives you the opportunity to, to, do, to use most of them. There's no center channel. You can tweak your system to use the sub if you really want some boomy bass. But, you know, you got to make sure your speakers are either small or large. And, you know, there's a whole thing. You read the, the insert, you know, the booklet, the CD booklet, and it'll tell you exactly what to do. But I really enjoyed it. Well, that was one of my questions, too, is if you've already got a, a tricked-out Blu-ray system with the Dolby 5 or Dolby 7, however many Dolby speakers you've got, could you just buy these things, pop them in, and everything's done? Or do you have to do a, a level of system tweaking to really get the most out of this? You can really just buy it, but with the warning that your system has to be able to decode the DTS master mm -hmm. standard, that protocol. But yeah, I just popped it in, and it started playing from four channels. I didn't have to change any settings and all that. The only time I would have to change settings if I wanted to adjust the bass or if I wanted to actually get something out of the center speaker. If you really wanted that center channel, you can tweak stuff around, hit some other like protocol or, or do a virtual surround sound, any type of stuff like that. Yeah, you can play around. And again, it's subjective. Yeah. If you like a certain sound, like when I'm listening to a regular CD, I will use the center speaker along with the stereo speakers because I, I want to hear that stuff right in front of me. So, And that's a concession I've made because I've lived in that surround sound environment for so long. Quadraphonic sound coming back was not something that I would have no, thought, especially because you think, oh, it's some ancient analog format that they yeah, tried and nobody cared. I didn't but have it on my bingo card, no. <laughs> Yeah, but the fact that they've digitized it, found some albums to re-release that benefit from it. Is there any idea how big the catalog of Quadio the These are the, old, is? the first four. These are okay. actually the first four, so I'm hoping they release more. And like I said, it's Rhino Records, and it's Paranoid, Black Sabbath, Billion Dollar Babies, Alice Cooper Band, Red Octopus, Jefferson Starship, and the Jay Giles Band, Nightmares and Other Tales from the Vinyl Jungle. I really enjoy the experience. Blasting that sucker. That'll turn out the sirens on your street, too. <laughs> and so the, perhaps we'll throw some links to the Quadio information and That's good. threads and then anything else we talked about here for people who maybe just want to peek in, follow up, that kind of thing. Show enough. Show enough. Wow. All right. Well, now I'm going to have to think about multi-channel sound again. I'm <laughs> well, I think we should thank everyone for listening to us. And you know what? I have to say. I'm really enjoying the feedback that we've been getting. People have been way more, because we were gone for a year, people have been really, like, 
And I love it. Just reaching out and telling us we're glad you're back. This and give, give us more of that. Yeah, if no, you're I'm, listening. I'm glad people are listening too. Yeah, I, yeah. I missed you all because some of you we, we interact sure. on the socials and whatnot. Absolutely. And it's, it's nice to be able to, to talk and show our fan appreciation here. Absolutely true. Just reach out to us anytime. We're here and yeah. we will respond. It might not be right away, but we'll get there. Anyway. All right, so until next time, I'm J.D. Beersdorfer. And I'm Pedro Rafael Rosado. You're going to go to some quadio now, aren't you? You should. Can you do quadio with your cardio? <laughs> Exercise. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. I like that. Now I'm going to go watch Andor. There you go. 